Well, hey, uh, this morning, and this is especially good for you if you're a guest or if you're watching online today, uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, the fifth Sunday of the month, we, we say, hey, let's have an opportunity for family to worship together. And so a lot of the classes that we normally have are uh, redirected here so that parents and kids can worship together. Uh, also, we've been going through this teaching series in the book of Romans. It's been called Right with God. How, how do we get right with God? And Romans is a, is a thick book theologically. It's rich with great meaning and understanding of, of how God has designed salvation to work and how to operate and live off of that salvation. But when we go through a book like Romans, inevitably, not only are questions answered, but some questions are raised. Like, wait, that's, that's tough to understand. That's tough to embrace that teaching. Or maybe it's like, wait, I, I think that, is that contradicting something else that was spoken earlier? And so this tension is created and like, how do I understand this or how do I apply this? And so uh, what we informed you guys a couple weeks ago is that we're going to take some questions over the next few weeks and we're going to shake those down into a few themes. And then we're going to take some of our uh, pastoral and ministry team and, and help answer those in a panel format. And so we're going to attempt to do that here in a little bit. Uh, these, these questions have come out of conversations in the hallways, things that you've sent in, and even our own intuition about what some of those questions might be. During this time, if a question comes to you and you want to, you want to see if we can answer that, uh, there's a number to text on the screen. So if you're here, you can text a question to that number. If you're online, you can also text a question to that number. And we'll do our best to try to get to some of these at the end of the few questions that we're going to field together. And if for some reason we just can't, we'll try to um, put some of those on the blog over the next week or two to help answer some of those questions. So to tackle some of these questions and the tensions that were raised, uh, the panel we have today is founding pastor Rick Duncan is here. We have Joe Valenti, one of our youth pastors. We also have Denise Pitek, our children's minister, and myself. And uh, Kyle and Amy Gustafson, just a, a neat couple in our church, has agreed to be gracious enough to help navigate and moderate this time. And so I'm going to turn it over to Amy, and then we're going to get started. You guys ready? All right. All right. Thanks, Chad. And uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us this morning and um, for sending in questions during the week. We have three big questions that, like Chad said, we've kind of gathered from the feedback we've been getting in Romans. And so we're going to tackle those first. Please, please, please text in questions. Uh, it's kind of fun to catch your pastors unaware and see what they really think on their feet. <laughs> and, uh, and it'll be good. So we're going to get rolling. And uh, Joe Valenti is my astro answer our first question today. And so, um, you know, when one of the big tensions that we learned about in Romans 8 and 9 was this uh, concept of election and predestination. And so and we were thinking that God has already predetermined who's going to be saved. How do we deal with knowing that we know the Bible says some people aren't going to be saved, but yet we're still told that we should evangelize and, and spread the gospel? Well, I preached a mini sermon the first time and we went over so I'm going to try to be a little bit more efficient. Good. Uh, Amy's like, you, you got to wrap it up, man. Um, so real quick, I wanna, I'm going to fly through what Amy talked about, the doctrine of, of uh, predestination or election. Uh, if you didn't listen to Josh Stone's message on Romans 9, go to CVC online and listen to it. Uh, he, he works it out very clearly. Um, uh, if, if you did listen to it, go listen to it again. It's really, really good. Um, but the idea of election or predestination is that God has uh, predetermined an eternity past that he will save some and chooses uh, based on, uh, on uh, nothing that we have done, uh, just out of his sovereign divine will to save some. 
And so uh, that's, that's difficult for people to, to wrestle with. Uh, a lot of times you go, that doesn't seem fair. Or my wife's phrase when we talk about that, she goes, I don't like that. And uh, so I want to encourage you, if, if, if that bothers you, if you have questions about it, there are several texts that you can go to. You can go to Romans 9. Again, you can go to Ephesians 1. Uh, you can look at the life of Jesus and some of the things that he says in the high priestly prayer in Matthew 17. Uh, also, uh, John, t- sorry, John 17, right? John 17, and then uh, the sheep and the goats in John 10. All those areas you can kind of look um, or if you want to, you know, come steal books from any of us. We have big books that will help you get through it. But the big question is, how do we deal with this idea of predestination or election as it relates to evangelism? So the question is, if God has predetermined that some will be saved and that some will not, and nothing can, can, can thwart God's will, why should I go and share the good news? But they're going to get saved anyway, or they're not going to get saved. Um, well, the issue is, I think, a biblical issue, right? If, you were, if, if you're in elementary school, raise your hand. Elementary school. I can see, raise them high. I can't see your hands. Okay, yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Cool. All of, like, one of the, one of the main things that you need to realize as a, as, a, as a youngster, this will help you a lot, is that the Bible has the best answers that you can get on any question, right? And so we have to look at the Bible for our answers to these questions. We can read other books, and that's good, and say that, you know, they have good things to offer, but the Bible has the best answers to our questions. And the Bible tells us that we're to go and we're to share the good news of Jesus with other people. And so that's the quick and easy answer, right? Like, how do we navigate the tension between election and evangelism? We believe them both, and we live in them both because the Bible affirms both of them as true. In fact, I was talking... I, I was talking to our other youth pastor, Rick Eimers, this week, and I said, hey, how would you answer this question? He goes, the doctrine of election or predestination makes evangelism even, even the more awesome because it takes all the pressure off of us to try and convince people of something. I had an opportunity to go with some teenagers uh, to Pearl Island, one of our missions opportunities this summer, and the whole island is a Muslim island. 99.9% of the people there are practice Islam. And if it's up to us to change hearts and minds, we're in big, big trouble because that ain't happening on that island. <laughs> um, but if we believe that God has preordained in his sovereign will to save some of those people, our response is just to be obedient and to share and believe that God will come through on what he promises in the Bible. Interestingly enough, you read Romans 9... And then you flip the page and go to Romans 10, and you see Paul's command to share the good news. How will they believe uh, on him of who they have not heard? So we're to go and share. And so that's, I think, uh, the doctrine of predestination and election aren't in opposition. They're actually great complements to each other because election uh, brings great freedom to our evangelistic efforts. You know, yesterday uh, we worked in the yard all day. And it's interesting because I, I knew that we were going to do yard work yesterday. And so Friday night, you know, went to bed. And, and so if I were to try to use a, a parallel analogy for me in a minute, I'm going, I predetermined as a dad that Saturday was going to be yard work day. And 
And uh, I predetermined that this, this child's going to do this work, and this child's going to do this work, and this child's going to do this work. And so it's interesting, as, as, as we started working, inevitably, because, you know, kids, sometimes it's like, all right, that's not fair. One of my kids looked at me and said, that's not fair what I'm doing. Because <laughs> in their mindset, they thought what the other kids were doing was easier. And I'm thinking, if you were actually doing what your brother was doing, you'd actually be coming back to me going, this is definitely not fair. <laughs> and so it's interesting because this whole concept of fairness, when we think about predestination election, we have to start going, who are we as humans to determine that what the Father has predetermined is unfair? Because I had a kind of the overall narrative, and now here's the thing. They had a lot of freedom. Like, they could have started here and finished here, whatever. I had predetermined what they were going to do, but they had some freedom in the midst of how it was going to be done, even though I knew how they would do that. And so when I think about this whole concept of fairness. It's such an interesting argument because who are we to tell the Creator what's fair? He's God. He owes us nothing. <laughs> he owes us nothing. And so I think, uh, for me, I've understood that as, as I've been thinking through this concept of lesson predestination. It's true. It's, 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 uh, it's biblical. Just embrace it and run with it. And it does. It does propel me to want to share the good news, um, not, not you know, close my mouth from it. And when I heard this question, I was like, oh, I'm not touching that question because I do still uh, wrestle with God a little bit, as you could imagine. But... When I think about evangelism and the call to evangelize, I think that comes out of my relationship and love for the Lord. And I was thinking, I remember I was planning um, a new year here at CVC and making plans for the future year. And um, the Lord corrected me saying, I don't need you to do this. It is out of my generosity, out of my love for you, that I allow you to see what I'm doing. And as Joe said, all the answers are in the Bible. If you go to the Bible, there are, from the first page to the last page, God sending people if, um, and people he predetermined. So uh, a glimpse into how he gave Ananias an opportunity to see what he was up to, uh, we know that God didn't need us to save Paul from Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, right? But he did tell Ananias, go to Paul, because I have chosen him as an instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. How cool was that for Ananias to see a glimpse into God, what God was up to, especially knowing what he knew about Paul. And if you're a kid in here, we've learned about Paul all summer long, so you know Paul's story really well. You could probably help refresh your, your parents' memories. We've had a question come in from the audience, uh, actually. So you guys are doing great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, about this idea of predestination. And the question is, how is predestination not a contraindication of God, or not a contradiction of God being just? So predestination seems that it isn't fair, but God is fully just. Can you maybe flesh that out a little bit more? Does that make sense? I, I think sometimes we have this expectation that God owes us. And so... Really, we ought to be amazed at the fact that God would save anyone. So I think behind the question is kind of a misconception that God owes anybody. See, for God to be just means that everybody goes to hell. That's what the justice of God demands. So God is gracious to save some. 
So I think we need to kind of flip that question. And, and, and just on a practical note, there are people maybe in the room here today who might be thinking, well, if this doctrine of election is true, that God has chosen some to be saved, and some are predestined to be saved, how do I know if it's true for me? How do I know if God has chosen me or not? And my answer to that for someone is always this. Do you want to be saved? Do you, do you want to know God? Do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to be forgiven? Well, the Bible says in the very next chapter from Romans 9, in Romans 10, whosoever will may come. So if you want to come, if you want to be saved, then you're one of the elect. And that's how I answer that question. Yeah, I just add to that, like, I think it's, we got to understand God's not just just, he's loving and just. And so I think it's Exodus 34, 7 that says, God will not let the guilty go unpunished. He's just. And so all of us need to understand the, the wrath and the, the, our default destination is hell, not heaven. That's his complete justice. But he's also loving. And so when we think about election and predestination, it's a reflection of his love that he actually has elected any. So it's really the same, same thing, but that, that's helped me understand that too. And I think we've got to be clear too that it, it could seem unfair and unjust that God allows anyone to go to heaven. But it's not as if God negates his justice and just magically allows some people to go to heaven. What he does, the beauty of the gospel, is that he pours out all of his wrath and all of his justice on Christ on our behalf, right? There is a payment for our ability uh, to be in heaven, to have our sins washed away. It's not just some, like, oh, I'll just pick some and they can come to heaven with me. There's a cost, and Jesus Christ pays that cost. That's great, Joe. Thanks. Um, you know, we have had another question come in that really pertains to our second question that Pastor Rick's going to answer. So I'm going to start with some background on the tension between law and grace, and I have a follow-up question for you guys. Um, so throughout Romans, you know, Paul's talking about the law and about grace and, and how these two work together, and that, you know, as believers, we're told that we're not under the law anymore, but we are under grace. And so... For us who are followers of Christ, how do we kind of navigate this tension? How do we embrace it? Yeah, this is a big issue in the book of Romans. In other words, if I am saved by uh, faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, then why should I bother to obey the law of God? I mean, if, if I'm forgiven of all of my sins, past, present, and future, then I'm just going to live it up. I'm just going to break the law. Now, when we talk about the law, we're talking about the laws in the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments, we're talking about some uh, law in the New Testament. This, the, the rules and the commandments and the restrictions and the uh, commands in a positive way that God has given us. And we know we're all lawbreakers, that we all uh, have in our hearts this sense of what's right and wrong, and we violate our own sense of what's right and wrong, much less God's sense of what's right and wrong. So we're all law breakers. But what God has done, as Joe said, he poured the wrath of God for our law breaking onto his son Jesus, so we are fully forgiven, past, present, and future, and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So now we have that question, why should I bother to obey? And uh, I brought a little Lego toy here. Um, I think my grandson made this. So this uh, toy, this little car, is headed down a highway uh, in the Old Testament. Isaiah 35 it talks about the highway of holiness. So that's, that's the road that we're supposed to be on, this highway of holiness. Now, on the highway of holiness, there are two ditches. And the ditch on one side 
is the ditch called legalism. And this means um, the only way for me to please God, the only way for me to uh, become part of God's family, the only way for me to go to heaven is by trying hard and doing more to keep all of the rules and the regulations of God in the Bible and in the church. And that's a miserable way to live because nobody can keep the rules that way. Now, on the other side of the highway of holiness is another ditch, and that's called the ditch of lawlessness. And lawlessness means, well, if I'm forgiven of all my sins, then I'll have to worry about keeping the law. I'll just live it up. I'll just have a great time, and I'll just flagrantly disobey. And we know that something's wrong about that. God has given us a highway of holiness to live on. He's given us rules to live by. But here's the deal. Our motive for keeping the law has been radically changed because of something fundamentally different that's happened in our lives. Uh, let me tell you just a little story. There's a little boy named Johnson who grew up in an orphanage. And little Johnson sometimes kept the law because he thought, if I keep the law, the rules of this orphanage really, really well, then maybe somebody will adopt me. And then sometimes he got tired of doing it, and so he just lived it up. He just flagrantly disobeyed everything. And time after time, parents would come in, and they would adopt a child from the orphanage. And every time, little Johnson got passed by. Until one day, this couple came in, and they looked around at all the children, and they read the profiles of all the kids, and then they settled on that one little boy, little Johnson. They said, we want you. So little Johnson came home to live with them. Now, why should little Johnson keep the rules of that family? I mean, does he keep the rules of the family because, hey, they're going to kick me out of this family if I don't obey and keep the rules well? No, that's not the father's heart. That's not the mother's heart. Johnson, you are accepting this family just like you are. You don't have, you're, it's forever settled. You're our child. And so what Johnson does is he realizes, wait a minute, I want to obey the rules here because I'm so grateful that I was rescued out of that orphanage. And this is why we obey God. It talks about this in uh, Titus chapter 2. This, this was our uh, reading, actually, for this last week, or a portion of it. And notice the tension and the relationship between grace and law in this passage. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness. It says a couple of things. One, grace saves lawbreakers. So we're all lawbreakers here in the room. But the grace of God saves lawbreakers. Now, what does it do? It transforms us because then it says the grace will train the lawbreaker to become a law keeper. Because it says Christ gave himself to us to redeem us from lawlessness. And so the motivation for us obeying the law of God is not um, to keep our salvation the motivation for us to obey the law of God is, I am so grateful. I am so amazed. I am so thankful. I want to obey you, God. And if that's not the heart that we have, if we say, well, I've said the prayer. I'm good to go. I'll just live how I want to now. Then that's a pretty good sign that you probably don't really know Jesus 
and his grace. So we've had a great question come in that maybe we could open up to the panel um, that goes along with what you've been saying. This um, the idea that we're supposed to live kind of according to the law, but in the freedom of grace. Um, how would you respond to Christians um, who continue to sin but have the attitude of, I'm always forgiven? So large-scale things um, like sexual immorality, looking at porn, small-scale things, uh, you know, harsh speech and, and cutting people down. Like, how do you apply that to your life? The Bible says that you will know them by their fruit. So someone that has a re love relationship with the Lord, who's in love with the Lord and growing in their relationship with the Lord, will hate the things the Lord um, hates. They'll transform, and you will know them by their uh, desire to be obedient to the Lord. We all do things we don't want to do. We all are sinners, but our brokenheartedness when we disobey God, uh, there, there needs to be an evidence of repentance to reflect the fruit of your relationship with the Lord. That's the, that's the warning we see in Romans 6, right out of the gate, Romans 6, 1, you know, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? And I think it's clear that um, I mean, let's look at the scenarios. If, if you've got a person who has professed faith, but they're living in sin without any remorse. So either A, maybe they never really did come to the Lord. They just said they did. B, they did come to the Lord, but now they're, they're working out their sanctification. Or, you know, we, it's not always a light switch. Sometimes it's that dimmer switch of transformation and sanctification in our life. And, and, you know, one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward. You know, sometimes it's that process. Um, you know, and, and other, so, so, so all that to say, the fruit, piece is huge. If, if you never see apples come off a tree, then it's probably not an apple tree. <laughs> you know? and, and if you are a true child of God, Hebrews chapter 12 says, if you're going to live a life of sin, expect discipline from your heavenly father. It is coming. So either you're not really saved or maybe you are saved, uh, but troubles, trouble looms ahead as discipline from the God. And it's not because he doesn't like you. It's because he does love you. One phrase on the grace and, and um, law thing that helped me, I saw recently, is if sin is not known, then the need for Jesus is not felt. I think, and so as we look at all this talk, let's come back to law is the mirror that shows us that we aren't holy, we can't earn it, we're not going to be able to, you know, good, good work ourselves into that. But once we realize how bad we are, that makes the gospel, that makes the cross, that makes Christ so much more glorious, and we feel a draw to him and to, to, to respond to faith, which then will allow us to live under an understanding of grace more than the law. You know, my little story about little Johnson, I mean, we know something's wrong with little Johnson if he's been adopted in this amazing family and he just wants to continue to disobey. Something's wrong with the heart there. And if, uh, if a believer is just going to continue to try to disobey and disregard the law of God, you're not saved by keeping the law, but you want to keep the law. He changes you from the inside out. It's, it's live new. You know, Joe, with the amount of parents here and kids, I, I think your comment on this, that comment is really good. I think that the... Yeah, at, at the first service I was talking, uh, I used this little car again. Um, parents, how many of you are parents? 
Yeah, we got a bunch of them. I think a lot of times, and I see this in my own life, and I'm trying, like, I'm seeking the Lord's wisdom. Oh, man, I broke the train. You broke you right, 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 right. I fixed it. I fixed it. It's okay. <laughs> what does it's okay. that theologically mean? Sorry, Owen. Uh, a lot of times as parents, I think we have received grace. And look what you did. <laughs> you broke it. You broke That's grace. That's not saving anyone. Let's just. We'll I'm going to tell my grandson We're just going to use this. I'll fix it after. But. We, we parent like we're driving down that road and we parent often on the, on the law side, right? Very rarely extending grace to our children. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You did this. You can't do that. This is how we do things in our house. And like, I think we condition, we condition our children to think, well, if I just follow the rules, mom and dad will be happy with me and, and, or God will be happy with me that God is happy with rule followers, and that's how we gain our salvation. And so my question to you would be, is are you looking for opportunities to extend grace to your children? And to explain it to them, not just to let them off scot-free, but, hey, you disobeyed, you made a bad choice, and, and I'm not going to discipline you as you deserve this time, right? How many, how, like, what are you communicating to your children about who God is? Is God just this mean guy who, like, every time you screw up, he's like, you're terrible, right? Like, go to your room. That's, that's not the heart of God. Does he discipline? Yeah. Do we need to discipline our children? Yeah. But is it just about do this because I said so and you live in this house and I'm your dad? You will sit down. You will go here. You will speak this way. Ah, man. Like, what is, that, what is that teaching God about or what is that teaching your kids about how God is? We need to be people who are living in grace and teaching our kids about the beauty of grace as well. Uh, if any of you would like to know more about what Joe thinks about that, we have had a very long conversation um, separate from this, and the uh, way that he is trying to teach his children grace and um, obedience and working that and trying to develop a real love for God and his young children is really brilliant. So definitely come and talk to him. At some point after the service, he's got some great ideas for how to raise kids that really love God instead of just follow the rules. I, I love how he illustrated that if we try to drive our cars, we wreck them. Yeah. <laughs> but if we give it over to God, then it doesn't fall apart. <laughs> so clever. So Maybe clever, Joe. Maybe never playing Joe. for the rest of us. <laughs> okay, we have one last question um, that's, that's kind of been the collection of what you've been submitting this week, and we have one more really great question to follow up. So we're going to try and be a little timely with your question here, and then maybe you can answer the one after too. So this last one's for Chad. It's kind of talking uh, about the security of our salvation. So, you know, Roman 10 tells us, as you mentioned, that, if, you know, if we confess Jesus as Lord, you know, we'll be saved. But we know people, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, that say they're Christ followers but don't always have that fruit in their life, um, and so how do we navigate the tension that you maybe can lose your salvation? Okay, we talked about those broken branches a couple weeks ago. Are we going to get broken off? Yeah, I, th I think first off, let's get this on the table. You know, we believe that you cannot lose your salvation. You know, we don't need to go any further than the words of Jesus. And obviously there's more passages than that. But even the words of Jesus, you hear Jesus say this, John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That, that's a permanent state once you see that in salvation. You see Jesus in John 6, 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see the promise that the elect that has been given to Christ, none of them will be lost. Jesus doesn't have butterfingers. No one falls out of his hands. And in the last day, they will be raised up. That's a promise. We have confidence in our salvation. And then John 10, 28, of course, my personal favorite, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. So, that, you know, those just a snapshot. We don't believe you can lose the salvation. But then what do I do with, like we saw in Romans 11, hey, here's this, here's this tree that God made. He broke off the old branches, grafted in the new, but then told the new branches, don't get too comfortable because I can break you off too, just as like I did the old ones. Well, is, is he talking about saving, you know, you can lose your salvation? Well, you have to understand that the whole language with Romans 11 is really more national than personal. We make personal application out of it, but it's more national with Israel and Gentiles and say, hey, Gentiles, if it's not in faith for them, it's got to be in faith for you, so th- th- don't get you know, spiritually prideful. But, but I had a conversation with a man after that message on, on, on Romans 10. I think that passage is, is huge to visit. Um, if you guys were here, or if you weren't, this will be new to you, but because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. man came up to me after that message and said, I've got family members who have said that they believe in Jesus, but then like we talked about a minute ago, I, I see nothing in their life that they actually do love Jesus. And we all probably have people in our lives that we you know, can think about that. And so I think as we've talked about here, there's the profession of faith, that if you confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord. And then there's the possession of faith and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And so for me, it's never an argument really of have they lost salvation? It's did they ever have it in the first place? Did they profess? I said a prayer, I, I, I stated it, but I never possessed. I didn't believe it in my heart. And really time will reveal, I think, if you've really done that. And of course, you go into the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, you know, that, that those who are saved will re, you know, show that over time. Uh, something we kind of touched on last service, and I know you talked about at the end when you were preaching about the branches, is like, what would you say to someone that is is seeing that happen in a, in a loved one? We we have lots of children and, and students from high school ministry and family members that are doing that. Like, how would you encourage the believer who's watching this happen, where they're they're professing they're not having fruit and they're feeling a little bit like they failed? It's it's probably pretty cliche. You got to pray for them. Pray that God would bring them to a place of conviction, repentance, remorse, and you've got to love them in it. Don't, don't, don't start to condemn and judge and be harsh. You know, love them in that season because what are we dealing with in that situation? Either A, the person was never saved in the first place, so how do we pray for them? If they really get saved. <laughs> they really do get saved because the story's not done being written, right? Maybe they're saved, but again, like we talked about a minute ago, it's being worked out. Just pray that they really surrender to the Holy Spirit and he brings deep conviction upon them and they start to turn a corner. Maybe they're in a season of rebellion. You know, all of us here can relate to times that we just weren't walking with the Lord. And people might have looked at us and said, well, I don't don't think Joe's saved because of decisions he's making or whatever. And and so sometimes you just have to be patient. You got to pray for them and you've got to love them. And I would say remind them of the biblical truth during that season. I liked what Joe said last service, which is like the story's not over yet. They're still alive. And so the the way you can persevere in hope is just God's not done yet. He can do... He can do anything and redeem anyone back. I think a lot of times, unfortunately, we will glide to one of two extremes. We'll either go, whoa, look at that person. Yikes, I'm out, right? Uh, Or or we do that with our children. I don't want you hanging around with so-and-so. They're a bad influence. Like, some some of that is okay, but man, what if our children could be a good influence as opposed to removing them, right, from all the bad? And like, we can tend to do that as believers. Ah, I'm out. 
or we, we get heavy-handed, right? Like, hey, you need to repent or you're going to go to hell. Whoa, easy there. But, but as, we, as we love through, like, and love does not mean just being okay and like, it'll be all right, brother. It means like we need to confront those that we love, right? Hey, the way that you're living, the things that you're doing, like, are, are not okay, um, and I'm not going to be okay with him. Do I care about you? Yeah. Am I going to continue to challenge you? Yeah. Thanks. The last question um, from the congregation, which I think is a good wrap-up and kind of blends all of these three topics together, is um, this, this idea that, you know, with salvation, does God choose us or do we choose God? Because we know the Bible says that he desires that all people would be saved and come to knowledge of him. How do you fit in salvation, predestination, election, who chooses, us or God? Because you had a really good conversation about that, one of you two, in the back room. Well, Jesus says, John 15, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So he chooses us, therefore we come to him. So I think uh, the answer is like both are true, except his is first. I think also like we have to realize that we cannot come to him on our own. Right, like we talked about week one in Romans one, like our minds, our hearts are messed up. We are bad people. And it's not as if someday I just wake up and go, oh, I think I'll follow the Lord today, right? Like that usually doesn't happen. But as God has chosen, the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and minds and allows us an opportunity to see truth and to make a step forward um, to accept that truth. I think, again, Paul is the gr a great example. The fact that he had a Jewish mother and a Roman father and the way he was raised to follow the Lord, the law, and defended the law, and then that moment when God chose him and revealed himself to him, he obviously responded. I think what Pastor Rick had said, I think I remember it now, was this idea that, like, God, God, electing us or choosing us doesn't remove human responsibilities is how you explained it well yeah god's uh, divine election and predestination uh, does no violence to human responsibility yeah yeah thank you uh we are only a minute and a half over on time the service you guys have done great uh those are all the questions that we have for you if you still have more follow-up questions you can still text them and send them in i know chad mentioned that they're going to be addressing some of these questions on the blog and we might even use them next service um, so thanks for joining us today thanks to our panel for you guys enjoy that was that helpful <laughs> We felt this last service, we feel it this service. We could just do this longer. Hopefully it's encouraging. But, but our hope is this. We definitely desire to maybe clear up some things, even in this brief time. Um, but our hope isn't just to get more information, to get data. We really believe that as we learn God's word and learn the truth of God's word, the hope is transformation in our life, right? Like we believe a new life in Christ. And so we don't just do this as an exercise to, you know, talk about, you know, Bible stuff. It's, let's, let's look at how good God's Word is and how when we get God's Word in our head and in our heart, it leads us to change. It leads us to, to love Christ, to want to follow Christ, and to help everyone else out there come to know Christ. And so it's such an interesting tension because there's complexity in God's Word, but there's simplicity, and we're called to know some of the complexity and speak to some of the complexity, 
but rest in the simplicity that God knows you, God loves you, he has a plan for your life, he wants to spend forever and eternity with you, and he's invited you in. And some of you think, but what if I'm not elect? Well, look, if you're elect, you're going to respond. <laughs> we just have to rest in the simplicity of that. And so as believers in this room, I hope this has been encouraging to you. I hope it's been motivating to you. I hope it, it fuels you to live your faith stronger. Maybe it sparks some curiosity to have conversations as families or whatever. Do that. But there's probably some of you here that you're still spiritually exploring. Our hope is that today you've heard this message very clear, that God loves you, that the sin in your life is a barrier to spending eternity with God in heaven, that you don't have to work harder, try harder, drive the car, <laughs> you know, in that one ditch to try to get to God. He's made a way possible through Christ. And God came down in person, the incarnation, and he came and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and offered the perfect um, gift to God to appease him for the consequences of our sin. And if you trust in Christ, in Christ alone, you can experience eternal life and new life too. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today. And if you do that, we encourage you just to get right with God. And if you, if you make that uh, response in your life, would you let us know about it? Then you just, just get a response card in front of you or in your program and just say, I gave my life to Christ today. Turn that in the baskets because we'd love to get uh, in touch with you and tell you how you can walk with Christ. If you're, wa- if you're watching online and you haven't done that, you can send us an email at connect at cvconline.org. And, and let us know that you're choosing to follow Christ and respond to his invitation. And we'd love to help you grow in that new relationship. Well, we're going to close this time in worship. We're going to receive um, our offering. We're going to just thank God for this time. And uh, also give you an opportunity, if you don't have Christ, to respond as well. So let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, it's so good, it's so enjoyable to open up your word and see complexity and see simplicity. Lord God, we praise you that you're a God that has designed and created things in such a a neat fashion. Lord God, you've called us to simply trust you and to believe in you, to have faith in you. I pray, Lord, that that will rest on every heart and mind of every child and adult in this room and that's watching online. God, I pray right now for anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you. Lord God, that today's the day that they're going to respond, that they do so with confidence and joy and courage. If that's you, you simply just tell God what you're hearing and understanding. You can just say something like, God, I'm broken, I'm lost, (laughs) I broke my car. (laughs) God, trying to just be good, I've been trusting the wrong thing to be made right with you. But today, you've gotten through to me. And I realize it's all about your grace demonstrated by the love of Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection from the grave. And I believe in that right now. Today, I choose to believe in that. Come into my life, I want to follow you. God, for those of us who are believers, Lord, we don't just want status quo. We don't want Jesus to be an accessory in our life. We want to be in love with you and passionately follow you with all of our hearts. May this time lead us to do that, Lord, that our life would be an offering for your glory. Lord God, these gifts we're about to give are also an offering for your glory. They demonstrate our trust in you. They demonstrate our dependence in you. They demonstrate our desire to tell more people about the love of Jesus in Northeast Ohio and beyond. So take and receive and multiply these gifts for your glory. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.